Vibes are fine. Vibes are fine. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about Love Gone Wrong. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest reads, and share books involving love gone very wrong. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. It truly helps us connect with other book lovers. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I'm doing really good. How are you? Fabulous. I'm excited, ready to talk about some psychopaths today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have a good mix. I decided not to bring all psychopaths and do a okay, little good. a little mix up a little mix in there. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to get a a little creative, I think, and I'm I'm glad okay. I, I it, it worked out really well. Good. I like that. And I'm just laughing at us. It's February, right? It's the month of love. I see a lot of romance <laughs> books around and we're like, "No, we're going to talk about like very how disturbing it goes love wrong. stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. How it just goes wrong." Mm-hmm. We have to do it our way though. I think it makes sense. It is very much on par with us and our reading preference. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get into Valentine's Day at all. I, I, no, I don't. <laughs> do you? We actually do get into Valentine's Day. I really, I like the holiday. Usually I get some flowers and we have a tradition of getting sushi every year. Like that's our thing is to eat sushi on Valentine's Day. We usually don't go out though. A lot of times we'll just order in. Lily's getting a little Valentine's Day gift this this go around. So it's kind of fun when you have little kids. Well, yes. Yeah. I think I used to get the boys stuff, but Darren and I don't really do it. We're both on the same page. Like we just good. don't care. Like, <laughs> so it's no, not like good. I care and he doesn't, you know, we're, we're in agreement. Right, right, right. It's good to match <laughs> in that way. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into some loving lately's. I want to hear what you've got. I'll start. Okay. I have a show for us, a TV show. And it is a very me show. My loving lately is Cheer season two. Like so many people, I absolutely loved season one when it came out in 2020. This is a show about cheerleading and it hits especially close to home for me. I was a cheerleader in for 13 years in my life and I cheered in college and we actually went to the exact same competition that they prepare for in the show. It's oh. called Nationals and it's in Daytona Beach. The show is about a community college cheerleading team in Corsicana, Texas, who are some of the very best cheerleaders in the world. And Nationals is every April. And basically what the show does is that it introduces you to the athletes and gets into a behind the scenes of what it takes to compete at this level. And they're a community college, but they literally are top tier cheerleaders. People from all over the country come to this school specifically. They want to get coached by Coach Monica. And the show just gets into these different personas. Obviously, I recommend both seasons, but specifically season two just came out and it picks up where they left off. It was riveting. And I'll tell you why. 
So season one, these were unknown people other than in the world of cheerleading. They did not know what to expect. They just thought it was going to be a documentary about their season and maybe some other cheerleaders would watch it. But it came out and these people became overnight celebrities. You had people on the red carpet. You had them getting interviewed by Ellen, Oprah, meeting, I mean, big, big names. People just fell in love with some of these people, these athletes. And so season two begins with the returning cheerleaders and how they're now dealing with this pressure of fame and how that impacts their team. Because only a couple of them got viral, if you will. Like maybe five or six of the cheerleaders were really well known. The rest were just in the background, didn't really have much to do with it other than being on the team. And there was a huge upsetting thing that happened. One of the, probably the most popular person to come out from season one, his name is Jerry. He has been accused of soliciting sex from minors. And now he's in jail awaiting trial. The series shows everything. Jerry's still on some of the early episodes, like episode one and two. He's still there because he was still on the team. And they interview the other cheerleaders and get their take on what they were feeling when they found out what he did or what he allegedly did. And then they brought the boys on that he allegedly solicited at these cheer competitions with their mother. I could not believe it. I was riveted. My jaw was on the ground thinking, I cannot believe these boys are so empowered to speak on this and that the show gave them that space. It was, it's, gosh, it was complicated because you fell in love with this person and they did something that's so completely beyond the pale. It's very hard. I mean, I'm just watching. I can't imagine this being a, when you, when you're on an elite team like this, your family, you spend Mm -hmm. so much time together and to find that out about your friend, I just can't imagine. So The show covers so much more, though. It's not just all centered on what Jerry allegedly did. Talks about sexism in coaching because Coach Monica is a woman and how she gets digged for all of these different things. And it's like, you would never say that to a male coach about their football players, about them pushing them too hard. You would never get that. But because she was a woman, she kind of gets crucified in the media for some things. Talks about the lives of the athletes, about rivalry, family, and friendship in sports. And it ends with another trip to nationals to compete against their nemesis down the street, TVCC. So you have like this little, who's going to win? Who's going to take home first place? I highly recommend this show. I think it's beautifully done and it's cheer on Netflix. Okay. Wow. I haven't heard of that. So no, I, I don't know anything about it. There's no denying, watching it, there's no denying that these are athletes. Like this is a sport. These are gymnasts or dancers. They're stunting. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to watch just for the sport alone, but then also to get to know the people behind it, it's a really, really good show. Right. That does sound really good. And I was a cheerleader too, not as long as you, but also I did not do stunts. So this okay. level, that level of cheerleading yeah. is way more advanced yeah, than I what did. we did. I mean, I, st- you know, I did. I was not a flyer. I was a base. Obviously, if you've seen me, I'm very tall. So like I'm not going up in the air, but the stuff that they're doing now, like I don't, it, didn't exist when I, I mean, it, I, I haven't been out of college that long, but like uh-huh. the level that they're competing, I'm like, oh my gosh. They're also co-ed. I was all girls. This, this okay. is a co-ed squad. So yeah, it's really freaking amazing. Some of the stuff they do. Okay. Well, I may have to give that a try. You might I, like it. Yeah. G- I, it I know. I, I, I'm working my way back into some TV watching, so Very I good. will put it on the list. Yeah. All right. My loving lately is the KT Recovery and Wave Electromagnetic pain relief device. <laughs> it's a very long Ooh, okay, tell us product more. title. <laughs> yes, I know that's the that's actually the whole thing. So, my husband got this for me on Amazon 
as a, hey, I'm going to get this for you for your knee. And then he got one for his shoulder. But they're the same thing. It's a round, it's just a very round, small wire that's connected in the center where the um, battery is. So the electromagnetic battery. It's very small. I am using this just recently. And on and really when he ordered it, I was like, okay, that sounds like something that won't work because I have chronic knee pain and it flares up. I have a, a bad knee from a previous broken leg. And especially when we get a lot of snow like we have and I walk the dog in it, then I will have knee pain. And usually I have to ice and then, you know, I do all this thing. So I pulled it out since we just got all this snow and my knee was hurting. It gives you a really intricate chart of all of the different places you can use it. Back, shoulder, neck, the front of the knee, the back of the knee. I put it on the back of my knee because that's where the pain is. And you put the wire, which is it's attached in a circle, you put it around your pain point and that's it. You turn it on. You don't feel anything. I was like, there's no way this is going to work. Hours later, my knee pain was gone. You can wear it 24 seven, you can, you can do, you know, whatever. And it just goes on with the tape that they provide. I'm wearing it every day throughout the day. So far, so good. I've walked him three days in a row in, I don't know, five, six inches of snow that of course is not plowed because I don't know why they can't plow paths for people to walk on over. Doesn't your at son the, work there? Um, yes, he does. And I, <laughs> I suggested to him, why can't that be plowed? And he said, we don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so I did go straight to the source and request for like those of us who have trouble walking in snow. But anyway, I love this. I, I've done a little bit of research. It is FDA approved, but there's no, there's nothing. It's electromagnetic. There's no, there's no shocks. Like it feels like there's nothing. And now this is just me. Don't take my word, you know, try it if you want. Don't take my absolute word for it, but it's working for me and maybe it could help other people. And Darren's using it for his shoulders. So that was the KT Recovery and Wave Electromagnetic Pain Relief Device. That's amazing. And is, is it KT, like the letters K and T? K, yes, the letter, yes, the mm-hmm. letters KT. I think and, they make, yeah. KT tape is a thing that I have used yes. before. It like basically they, yeah. that comes up with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Darren's so, yeah. Darren's using the and that must be where I wondered how, now that you say that I wonder how he found this and I didn't even ask him. He uses the KT tape on his mm-hmm. shoulder. I love KT tape. Yeah, it's great. Okay, that that's why I was wondering if it was connected. That's really cool though. I'm glad it's been working for you. I am too because my pain can get so severe in my knee, and I really like walking Vinny. I mean, I'd prefer not to walk in six inches of snow, but I still like getting outside and walking. So this this really seems to be working. Good. All right. So let's do latest reads. I'm very excited to share my latest read with you. And mine was, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. This book's amazing. I absolutely loved it. And as you might guess from the title, this is a book of essays about race. And the author candidly breaks down things like intersectionality, police brutality, privilege, microaggressions. And her goal in writing this book was to help facilitate conversations about race and racism, because sometimes these things are tough to talk about. But she wanted to put out a guide for everybody who's interested in having more articulate and thoughtful conversations centering on race. Each chapter takes on a different question, 
such as what is the school to prison pipeline or what if I talk about race wrong? And she answers questions readers may have been curious about but too afraid to ask. And what's so impressive about this book is that she strikes a balance between breaking down racial issues into very accessible topics and giving specific calls to action, which I really appreciated. So, for example, in the chapter centered on microaggressions, she shares steps on how to call someone out on their microaggressions and what to do if you have been called out for a racist comment that you made. She talks about what doing the work specifically means and what to do when you're confronted with the possibility of your own racism. She also gets very vulnerable about her own experiences and the things that she's experienced as a Black woman and ties these personal stories into broader conversations about race. She is biracial and she has a white mother. And the sections where she was sharing about how difficult it was for her, somebody who talks about race for a living, to talk to her mom about racism and about her experience and the different experiences and how the mom can never really, really, really get what she's experienced. She's not Black really hit home for me, obviously. I highly recommend this book, and I want to buy everyone I know a copy. I've literally recommended it already to several people just because it's so accessible and it's such a, aha, okay, this makes things very, very clear. And I listened to it. It is narrated by the great Bonnie Turpin. So I definitely recommend the audio, but also get a print copy too, because you're going to want to annotate it You're going to want to come back to it. And I really, really enjoyed reading this. It was a pleasure. I feel like I learned a lot, and I'm I'm glad I I picked it up. This was So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. Yes, you got me with the audio as soon as you said Bonnie Turpin. So I will add this to my nonfiction TBR. She's so good. She's so good. And I honestly didn't realize, I thought the author was narrating because it was so seamless. It just sounded Mm -hmm. so authentic and like, this is my story. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this is not the author. Like, no wonder it sounds so good. This is an actor, but she did an amazing job. Okay, good. All right. Well, I am going to bring what almost made it to my love gone wrong, but Mm -hmm. now it's sitting as a latest read and it is Unmissing by Minka Kent. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is definitely a psychological thriller. This is about Merritt and her husband, Luca, and they have been married a few years, and they have a great life. They have a home on the coast. They own many restaurants. They're very wealthy. They have a young daughter, and then Merritt is pregnant with their son. And one night, Luca is on a work trip, and Merritt answers the door late at night. And on the other side of the door is Luca's first wife, Lydia, who was missing 10 years before and declared dead and she is not dead and she show- <laughs> and she's very much alive and she has quite a story. She was kidnapped, she was tortured, she was confined and she escaped. And she is back to get her life back. Hell and- no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really all you need to know because you know things are not what they seem. Things are going to go in very crazy ways. This was really, really page turning. It's it's pretty short, 250 pages. I had it in print. I read it in print. And wow, I was pulled in. Also because the author drops you right in. We don't have a whole backstory set up. We are, we are right there with Lydia. And I mean, I felt bad for her. She is 
it, I was like, did she literally just escape? Um, but there's been a little bit of time, but she can't get back on her feet. <laughs> she has been living a homeless lifestyle as she's made her way back to try to get back to Luca. And so you do find out how, like, what was the situation. You find out in very sprinkled through backstory, which is my favorite way to get backstory. It's just yes. a little bit. You find out about their whirlwind romance, their whirlwind marriage, and what let what happened to Lydia on that day that she was kidnapped. And so then Merritt, his current wife, has to decide what do we do? And so what they decide to do, because they feel bad for Lydia, they decide that they're going to help her. So know that it gets very interesting because also Lydia, who I really liked, I was rooting for her, but I knew there was something very off about her. But I just, I mean, she's been through a horrible 10 years. So there were times when she seemed very normal and times where she seemed very unstable. And I love that. 75% of the story, I was in it. And then I'm telling, I, I have to be honest and say it went off the rails for me, completely off the rails in not a good way for me. Got it. <laughs> not a good way. And what I can't say too much, but what I, I've been trying to figure out, how can I say something without saying anything about the plot? But when an author takes a plot and characters who you think without any foreshadowing, without any red herrings that I could really pinpoint and completely changes the characters. I'm going to say characters because I don't want to even give away whether it was only one or everybody. But when that gets completely changed in a way that makes no sense, mm -hmm. zero sense, I, I was just, I was like, okay, well now I don't buy it. I don't, I'm very kind of, I felt duped and not in a good way. So I don't know. I still say, if that all sounds intriguing, give it a try and see what you think, listeners and Tina, because I mean, there's this, this is doing really well on Goodreads so far. So that was Unmissing by Minka Kent. This is the thing I love about psychological thrillers. It makes me afraid of things that I didn't even know existed. For example, <laughs> now I'm afraid that John was like maybe previously married in another life and his like missing wife is going to come to our house, even though he was 24 when I met him. <laughs> no chance he was married. But I'm like, oh my God, what if that happened? What would you do? Like, that's what I love about psychological thrillers. It right. puts you in these situations where you're like, no way, no way. This sounds so good. I bet the audio would be awesome. I don't know who narrates it, but that sounds like it would be I don't so know fun either. On audio. I don't know. I don't know either. It it probably will be very fun on audio. And yeah, I didn't even say, but but Luca, I mean, what a no-win situation. Like, what is he gonna, you know, that's I didn't even think about him. Well, what is he gonna do? So yes, I mean, and it could, you know, this could also be a case of this is a me problem. So I do mm -hmm. think people, if they think it sounds good, give it a try. And I looked up the narrators. It's Carly Robbins and Jane Oppenheimer. There's two. So there's alternating narrators, it oh. looks like. Okay. Jedi. That's always that's okay. usually always a good thing. Mm, okay. Good one, though. I mean, that's kind of... Now I'm like, is it going to be too much for me? I don't know. I have to read it and find out. I know. Exactly. You do. So I do... This like leads us perfectly into mm -hmm. why we decided to pick <laughs> this topic versus a happy, happily ever after. Now, I can get behind a happily ever after. Let's not go crazy. I like them now and again. I'll read a handful of romances a year. And I typically... 
they're well done. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I like my romances with a little bit of conflict, some, some, gosh, just something some, with some teeth to it. And I, I guess I'd have to say I do prefer my romances and my stories in general to be a little darker, a little more dysfunctional. And I don't know. What do you think? It, you don't read a ton of romance, right? No, I don't. I don't read a ton of romance. <laughs> and I was trying to even say, but the romance that I have read over the last couple years, there's usually a little bit of a darker yeah. undertone, um, deeper bittersweet. I love, you know, I'm thinking love. seven days in June, right? La- yeah. That was a romance, but mm-hmm. a much deeper, darker sort mm-hmm. of storyline. I don't really read a whole lot of feel good, mm-hmm. happy ending sort of romances. And that, mm-hmm. that's just my preference. I would rather have, you have a dark heart. I, I know I want, <laughs> I love bittersweet. I love when things don't just go as planned. I like that unpredictability mm-hmm. of those types of stories. And that could always change. I mean, it is kind of surprising that I'm never in the mood ever for a happily yeah. ever after story. Mm-hmm. I know. And that's why like, sometimes I like reading for the podcast because it's like, okay, I'm never in the mood for this, but I want to try it. I want to see what we think. And you know, you might find something that you've liked. I think I've read much more romance since I've been doing blogging and bookstagram or whatever. Just because I don't tend to be the first to catch on to those books. Usually I'm not first, but I'll Mm -hmm. see a lot of good reviews and I'm like, okay, let me try this out. Some that I did love, like I'm thinking, I actually love a LGBT romance, like those Mm -hmm. books I tend to get into. I'm thinking Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm thinking The Charm Offensive. But I think because those stories are not always straightforward, like there's kind of, you know, characters that don't know what the other person's thinking. There's a reason they can't be together. Mm -hmm. So. It could just be that I need to read more widely to really figure out what works for me. But I do agree. Love a story that gets turned on its head. I love a complicated backstory. I love a no-win situation, like an impossible situation. Obviously, like the idea of you, Mm -hmm. those sorts of stories. The new one from Colleen Hoover was really good for that. What's it called? Reminders of Him. Reminders of Him. But there's something, there's an element to it that gets me that's dark. It's like maybe there is no right answer here. Right. Well, you said something about conflict. As soon as you said that, I thought love triangles. I mean, Mm. and that's what I do like. A no-win, not necessarily a no-win situation, but a love triangle, there's inherent conflict. Yeah. And that, so that's kind of, if I can find a good love triangle, I like those. Oh, writers and lovers, Lily King. That had a good love triangle. Yeah, that had a, and it went deeper and it was, there was a bittersweet element to that story. And so that's my type of romance, which I don't even know that that, I don't even think that's categorized as romance, but it had a a love triangle element. I don't mind too, when I'm reading a book that's not categorized strictly as romance and it has a romance Mm -hmm. element to it. And there's like a, you know, a love story at its center or not even at its center, just even on the periphery. Like I do like those kinds of stories. Sometimes though, I find there's a, do you think Happily Ever After? Is that a spoiler? If you know it's a Happily Ever After? It feels like a spoiler to me. Doesn't but, it though? But yes, but I know that's what they're called, right? Mm-hmm. They're called yeah. Happily Ever After romances. Yeah. Like it, it's a whole sub genre maybe mm-hmm. within romance. And it feels like, well, if you already know it's going to end happily, then it does feel like here? a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think that kind of speaks to what we are who we are as readers, right? We like to be surprised. We like the element of surprise. And I think though, in fact, I know there are some readers who 
appreciate that comfort. They mm-hmm. they may not they they don't mind knowing that okay, this couple's going to end up together in the end, but they like to see how they get there. Right. Oh, I think a lot of people enjoy that that comfort of knowing mm-hmm. that no matter what what happens from the beginning to the end, they're going to get that happily mm-hmm. ever after in some way. I can totally see how that would make for a, a good comfort read. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that too. And I'm thinking movies. Like, I don't mind a movie if I know it's a rom-com. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of know, like, all right, they're probably going to get together at the end. I said that really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I took out a very weird accent there. But yeah, I don't, for some reason on the screen, I'm okay with that. Maybe because books are a longer investment of time. I'm not sure. I guess I'm the same now that you say that. I don't mm-hmm. mind a rom-com movie. I don't know why. So I wonder why. Oh gosh, here we go with our bibliotherapy. What? <laughs> How come we can do the movies? Why can't we read the books? Uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's a I'm really sure. good question. I don't hmm. know. I think I like to be surprised. I think I like the element of something new, something I haven't seen before. I'm not a big comfort reader. I really don't think I am. I'm much more of a delight me, entertain me. Mm-hmm. Not to say that romances can't do those things. You're right. We do always find our way into bibliotherapy. We we do. When we were looking at February and we were like, oh, it's Valentine's Day and, you know, we'll do something around that. Both of us were like, let's do something like dark. Like yeah. we, that was our immediate response. So do you know what you like about, and it's not even marriage, right? It's, it's love gone wrong. So what do mm-hmm. you like about love gone wrong? Because I think there's a, obviously a, it's a special relationship you have with your partner. And I think it's, one of the deepest ones you'll have. So there's so much potential to really mess up your entire life if something goes wrong in that relationship. And there, I don't know, there's something attractive in my brain to reading about that. I think it's the idea like you want to, you're kind of watching a car crash or like what's going on in the neighborhood. Like I'm very nosy or curious as a person. (laughs) So I think like I like to watch or read about relationships that they are, there is that tension, there's that back and forth because there's Mm -hmm. the possibility that things could go spectacularly wrong for these characters. There's something enticing to me about that. Right. And I I know I also think the closer you are to people, the more you can get hurt and the more they know about you. So Mm -hmm. the idea of love relationships gone wrong, but also family relationships gone wrong, whether it's siblings or parents, because those closest to you can be the ones that can hurt you the most. Mm -hmm. And that makes for interesting reading for me. And I'd like to read about secrets and lies. Like, of course. I, I think, yeah. And I think that when it's a love story of any kind, but you add in those elements, I usually can't resist. Do you have any thoughts on the, the biggie we think about with Love Gone Wrong and the whole Gone Girl phenomenon mm-hmm. that really kind of has put Love Gone Wrong, you know, on such a, like, readers are searching for that. Mm-hmm. Other authors have tried to, quote unquote, duplicate a story like that. But it's been mm-hmm. many, what, um, 10 years almost Over, since yeah, that was published. So yeah. are we done with that? Do we Are we still searching for that? I'm always still searching for it. I think it's the reason why it took off and why it was so genius is because that it's so obvious. And at the time, I don't think we were expecting it. And that's what's so delightful is like, oh my God, how did I not see this? How was I duped in this way? Like, how did I not guess? And because it was so 
almost simple in a way. Mm-hmm. Now I think we're we're our expectations have gotten very high as readers. Right. We're like, you know what? Here's what I want. I want you to delight me. I want you to surprise <laughs> me, but I don't want it to come out of left field. I don't want it to go on the rails. Like oh, right. there's yes. so many <laughs> high expectations that we we're have so demand. For yes, authors. readers have gotten so demanding, especially in that psychological suspense or romantic mm-hmm. suspense suspense category. The only other one I can think of in late in recent years that has gone close is Verity by Colleen Hoover. I think that one. Mm-hmm tantalized people and kind of brought that same energy to the love gone wrong story. No, I think you're right about that. I think Gone Girl also gave us characters that we really love to hate. I mean, yes, we, right. It was, it was like you said, watching a car crash, those two. And those are fun characters to read about. I would imagine it's very hard to get that type of dynamic correct, but when it is, it's really fun to read about. I have one today that I'm bringing that is very dislikable characters. Like these are like the cream of the crop dislikable dysfunction, but you're right. It's so hard to do because you still then have to get the reader to be interested in seeing how they fare, whether it's bad, good, left, right, exactly. You know, exactly. You're right. Okay. Well, you've just tempted me. So, all right. Well, let me tell you about it. Yeah. Let's go. So, the book that I am referencing with characters you'll love to hate is Good Rich People by Eliza Jane Brazier. Now, I did not like the author's first book. Sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) the premise of this one and the cover of this one really drew me in. It's this beautiful cover, and we'll post it on Instagram. It's got a checkerboard black and white floor. There's a couple standing on the stairs holding hands, but they don't have faces. Very striking. Her last cover was also beautiful. Anyway, I'm glad I went for this. This one hit the spot in such a good way. I do love a good rich people problem story. This took things to the next level. The couple in this story, they're Lila and Graham. Really, though, it's Lila, Graham, and Graham's mother. And Mm. they, as a collective, have more money than they know what to do with. So in an attempt to stave off boredom, they invent a game. What they do is they have this guest house and they rent it out but only to people who made their money being self-made. They hate bootstrappers. There's nothing they hate more than (laughs) new money. And basically each, the mother, the son, and now Lila's turn, they take turns at ruining their tenants' lives. And they, I mean, take things very far. Lila doesn't actually want to play the game, but she is her... Graham's wife, and she fought super hard to get him. There's no way she's going out without a fight because she thinks he will leave her if she doesn't participate in this game. And he has this way of getting her to do what he wants. And so she's like, you know what? It's easier in this case just to go along with it. So their latest tenant is Demi. This is a woman who has always felt like the odds were stacked against her. She moves into their guest house and unwittingly becomes the subject of their game and is now their entertainment. So they're basically like stalking her, trying to see like, when is she going to leave? But again, Lila doesn't really want to do this, but she's feeling compelled that she has to get close. But she also has to think of the way in which she's going to ruin her life. So she's always trying to figure out like, okay, what's my end? Demi has been struggling forever and has a few secrets of her own. And she is not about to go down without a fight. So the two women are the narrators of this story. I had so much fun with it. It's a little bit silly and very dark. There's also this really thoughtful juxtaposition between the gluttony and the excess of those that are wealthy and the invisibility of those that are not wealthy. 
I also really liked how the city of LA was presented. And I don't want to tell you why, but you'll figure it out very quickly what's going on. And I kept turning the pages to see how it would end. A lot of good commentary. I highlighted a bunch because this author is very thoughtful. And I think the message she wanted to portray, it's a basically eat the rich kind of situation. And what happens when you get to that level where you literally have to want for nothing? What's next? You're bored. How do you occupy your time? I will say neither of these women were particularly likable, but I didn't care. I liked Mm -hmm. reading about them, and I really enjoyed their sarcasm and their dark humor. I would say if you read the first two chapters of this and like the vibe, keep going because it carries on throughout. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I thought this was really fun. This was Good Rich People by Eliza Jane Brazier. Okay. I know you said you highlighted, but did you do any of this on audio? No, but I bet okay. it would be really good on audio. That's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, I did not have an audio copy That's of what this I was thinking. one. Okay. That has been popping up on Instagram quite a bit. Yeah, I think it just came out in January, if I'm not mistaken. And it's got alternating narrators as well. So if you like Ooh, that back good. and forth, there's two narrators, Carissa Vacker and Sophie Amos. Yeah, I bet it oh, would be Oh, I good. like Sophie Amos. Oh, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. Good. All, All right, what's well, first for you? First for me is The Sunday Girl by Pip. Drysdale. Have you heard of this one? Oh, no. Okay. Well, I hadn't either. And can I tell you how I found this one quick? (laughs) Guess who recommended this to me? Sure. (laughs) Okay, Tina, guess. Darren. Um, No. Siri. (laughs) So what? If you, okay, remember during this, like prep for this topic, I was telling you, like, I I cannot find a book that's pulling me in. I, I read so many samples. And I was, I was leaving the park from Walking Vinny and I, I said to Siri, Siri, what are the best books about revenge? I had it in my head. I wanted to read about revenge. So tell me the best books about revenge. And she said, here's what I found on. (laughs) And the very first article that she suggested was a blog post about the best revenge books. And this was number one. Amazing. Oh my God. I was like, okay, that never works. I've tried, but today, but for this book, it worked. And I was able to get the audio and it was excellent. British narration. The very first part of the blurb got me. They said, it's the girl on the train meets before I go to sleep with a dash of Bridget Jones in this chilling tale of love gone horribly wrong. I didn't think too much about that because I didn't, I mean, girl on the train, it was all right, but when I finished this, I went back and looked again, and I was like, you know what? That's really accurate, actually. So this is the story of Taylor Bishop, and she is a young woman who is hurt, angry, and wants to destroy Angus Hollingsworth in the way he destroyed her. They were in a relationship. Things went pretty bad. Obviously, they broke up, but then something happened, and it set Taylor on this course for revenge. What she fails to realize is she was way too good for him to start with, so she should have just let that, (laughs) but she couldn't let it go. This is her revenge story. So she ends up getting a hold of the book, The Art of War, and starts reading it. And then that gives her the ideas for revenge. Now, what I loved about this story was she actually had a really good motive. It wasn't like he broke up with her and she just wanted, no, she had a good motive. And it was a, it's kind it's a, what would you do in that situation? Because mm. it wasn't pretty. So 
this is the story. What happens when you decide to get revenge on someone and things don't go as planned? And then it's um, it's like a collision course of bad decisions followed by wrong decisions, and it spirals. But she was a protagonist that I really, really liked. She was not addicted to drugs or alcohol. She didn't black out. This was a straight psychological thriller that was at times really witty, at times really tension-filled. It, it was a really nice mix of all of that. And I didn't think that Taylor was always the sharpest tool in the box, but I really kind of like that. She tried to be 10 steps ahead. And sometimes when you try to do that, things go very wrong. And that's what happened. I loved her friends. I love that the author brought in, even though it was from Taylor's perspective, I didn't even notice introspection. And I know it was there, but she had friends, like she went to clubs, she went to bars. She had friends that tried to talk her out of what she was doing. And Mm -hmm. it was, it all felt very modern a lot of social media was involved. It was very, it felt trendy. Uh, I liked that. I liked just, I liked everything about this book. And, and, you know, there were parts that kind of dragged here and there, but I, I'm, I think I listened in a day. It kept me just really riveted as to how it was all going to turn out. And then at the end, it left me thinking, um, wow, it wasn't what I expected, and I wish I would have had somebody to talk about it <laughs> with, but it was one of those like, hmm, I need to to process and think about how I feel about this ending, but I really enjoyed this one. It was The Sunday Girl by Pip Drysdale. I've never heard of it. I love that you found this. It sounds I, so good. You also mm-hmm. make me want to do an entire episode about the best books about revenge. Revenge. I know. Can we add that to the list? Yes. Because I love, I think we both love revenge stories. That mm-hmm. started with Confessions last year by Kane Minato. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's always oh. like my mm-hmm. gold standard. Like, okay. And you ke- you keyed in on something there. I need a revenge story with a really good reason. Why are you exacting re- revenge? What What is it? What happened? It, it, yep. it can't be this boy didn't like me type thing. Like mm-hmm. I need complication. I need something a little dirty, right. you know? And I did think when when I started this that that's how I, I was thinking, okay, well, yeah, you know, it pulled me in with the British narration, but I assumed sure. it was going to be, she was just bent out of shape because he, he broke up with her. No, <laughs> that's not, I mean, she wasn't happy, but. Yeah. I was so riveted in you telling this. I'm like, oh, am I, is it me now? Should I tell you about my next, re-? like, I forgot yeah. we were recording. <laughs> yes, yes, please I'm do. just sitting here enjoying. <laughs> All right, so next for me, though, I actually quite like this book. So I'm really, really happy it worked because I like these authors. It is The Golden Couple by Greer Hendricks and mm-hmm. Sarah Pekinen. This one I listened to on audio, loved the audio, and I couldn't put it down. Here's how it starts. You have a wealthy Washington suburban couple named Marissa and Matthew Bishop. They seem to have it all. They're beautiful. Of course, they're both blonde-haired, hence the golden couple. Mm -hmm. They're the envy of all their friends. Until Marissa is unfaithful. And we find that out in the very beginning. And it comes to light that beneath their veneer of perfection, things aren't going well. Their relationship is crumbling. They're no longer close. But they love their son and have been together since they were teenagers. So they decide that they want to work on things. And the way that they decide to work on things is by going to therapy 
and they hire a woman named Avery Chambers. Now, Avery is not your typical therapist slash psychologist. <laughs> she has very unorthodox methods, and she actually lost her license due to something that happened in her career. So now she's working as more of like a success coach type thing. Basically, she's providing therapy without a license. So it's not ideal, not great. But she does have a long track record of success in getting couples back together and working through issues. So they decide to go for it. She has very strict rules. You cannot be late. She has 10 sessions. Each of the session has its own theme, and you've got to follow her rules. But the story itself is told from the alternating perspectives of Avery and Marissa. And we come to find out that Avery has issues of her own. I wasn't expecting to like reading about Avery as much as I did. She had her own issues. She was complicated. She's a recent widow, and she actually is paranoid because she thinks a high-powered group is out to get her because of something one of her clients did. So basically, she's like, okay, I think somebody is trying to get revenge on me, and she has reasons to believe that. I thought this was very propulsive. It had the traditional back and forth. You had a lot of reveals, a lot of red herrings. I could not stop listening. This is one of those books that had me looking at everyone to place the blame. At one point, (laughs) one of the characters adopts a dog, and I thought, oh, the dog's a plant. The dog is in on it. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what is happening here? Honestly, this reminded me of one of their older books in a very good way. It felt like a true return to form on the good old days of psychological suspense. It's not as thrilling as you might think. It's not as wild and out there, but it's like, okay, where are we going here? What's happening? You're like crossing your fingers. You're like, please nail the landing and get a good ending out there. And I think it does. And that's hard to do in a genre Mm -hmm. that's so saturated. But I quite like this. They are an auto-read author duo for me. And I'm kind of sad it's over because <laughs> I really like their books. And now I don't have one to wait for. But this was The Golden Couple by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. It is hard to, to land the ending. And some do it well and some don't. So are you thinking this reminded you more of The Wife Between Us? Yes. The okay, Wife good. Between Us vibe. Yeah. All right. Because mm-hmm. the only one that I was lukewarm on was their second one about a therapist Same. with the red That's cover. why I'm asking. An anonymous good. girl. Okay. An anonymous girl. Didn't love that one. That me one either. didn't do it for me. Okay. But I quite liked their first one. And so I think this one reminded me of their first one together. Okay, good. Then that's promising. All right. My. Oh, this is the one. I You've been teasing me. I've I want to te- hear about I know, it. I've teased you with this one. This was a DNF by you. And it is mm-hmm. The Good Son Which, by Jacqueline Michard. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 good. Do you remember DNFing this one? Oh, of course. Oh, I was very, t- it wasn't a book. Sometimes you lose a, a book. You're like, just don't feel like picking mm-hmm. it up. This one, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm all set. <laughs> so tell me about it. I can tell, and I, I can see that. Okay. So I ended up trying this. I was able to get the audio. And I and I will say the audio is excellent. So yep. that could play a part in why I loved it. So the narrator was very cinematic, if that makes sense. Got it. With the way she narrated, I felt like I was watching a a definite movie in my head. So maybe it could have lost some of that in print, but it worked really well for me. And this is young love gone wrong combined with some parental love gone wrong. So this is about Stefan. He's 17 when he is sent to prison for the drug-fueled murder of his girlfriend, Belinda. So the beginning of this novel, his mom, Thea, is picking him up from prison. And it was the first sentence drew me in. 
And it is, I was picking my son up at the prison gates when I spotted the mother of the girl he murdered. Amazed. It was so good. And so he's getting out. So you're, again, dropped right in the story because he's been there three years. He has served his sentence. And so on their way out, on their way leaving the the prison, someone tries to run them off the road. So right away, things start happening. The story with Stefan is he's from he's white, he's privileged, he's from a good family. Their community has really turned against them. And especially him, they are not happy that he's returning to the community. The mother of Belinda has formed a group that is for victims of domestic violence. So they protest, they picket, they're always outside of their house. And it's initially a story of Thea and her husband and their son. And what do you do when you, your son has, has committed this horrible crime? How do you go on? Should he go on? Does he deserve a second chance? Does he deserve to to go get a job and live a life? And well, he can't get a job. No one will hire him. He has these strict parole rules. And I can see where that, I don't know how far you got. I can see how that might've lost you and it might lose people. But what I will say, this is told from the mother's perspective. I liked her. It, it didn't feel heavy on introspection because there's a lot of interaction with other people. Um, I am a, a mom of boys and old, and older boys. So this really made me feel uncomfortable. And I could see it being such a good book club book. But as the story goes on, there is someone stalking them. There's the person that tried to run them off the road. And why did that happen? There is someone that keeps calling Thea and saying, tell Stefan to keep his mouth shut. He's never denied his guilt. He doesn't remember because he was on coke and heroin and a lot of drugs, but things start happening. So little by little, I realized there's a mystery element to this that I didn't know or expect, and I loved it because what starts to happen is you start to wonder, was there more to that night than what any of them realize? And you have to read to find out because it was... I thought it was excellent. I I think there's so much to unpack with this. I thought it was it's very literary. It's very it can feel very slow at times, but I also think that that's how the audio saved it. Even though I know I I knew like okay, there's not much happening here. I was still mm-hmm. I was still riveted. So, that is how I feel. I loved it and it's The Good Son by Jacqueline Michard. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. And I read this in print. And so that was my big issue. You had messaged me yesterday and said, you think it was one that I can feel comfortable in DNFing because it has an element that I don't enjoy. Is that the, is there a police procedural aspect? It's not the police procedural. It's the fact that I know you have said that you don't like like a whodunit straight mystery. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Correct. And, and that's exactly not. And, but this feels like. Ahuda. It feels like it it delves into like a little bit of that, but it it's mm-hmm. that mystery a- element combined with 
it's not propulsive. So I can see why it might not have worked for you. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. When you were telling me there's more to the story, there's more to the crime, I did know that. And that's at the point where I stopped because I'm like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not like, and, and and please, you did a great job explaining this book. And I'm glad you really liked it because I thought mm-hmm. it was one of those things I'm like, I know this is, there's a lot there. There's a lot here. It's very well written. Beginning was so interesting. I was like, torn. There was a lot of emotions going on because there is no right answer in this situation. How it's about prison reform and like, you know, right. he served his time, but does he, was it enough time? And it, is that his fault? It's the system yes. that I liked. And then it was the mystery, someone calling her on the phone. I'm like, I, it took me out of it for what <laughs> I like to read, but that's really funny that that worked. Right. That, it worked you know, for me. This is that. a perfect example of what might not work for one of us works for the other and same, you know, same for other readers because that drew me in. I think if that wasn't there, I I don't know though, because I was really, I went into the story thinking it wasn't going to be anything else other than a family. Like how does mm-hmm. this family deal yeah. with what their son did? And because he's very conflicted and I kept thinking, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to him? He's still young, but the community no one wanted him to be there. And how was he going to, and he wasn't allowed to move because of his parole, you know, stipulation. So I I kept, I felt a little worried about him, but also like he did this horrible crime and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But he's still a person, right? And it's right. Like, it, it gets complicated because you can't just like, he did his time, right? But what, I, I, I liked it because I had never really, placed a ton of time or I've not read a lot of books where it's about the character. They did their time. They did the crime. What happens now? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't read a lot of fiction that includes that element. So I think that was a really neat angle. Well, and the community didn't feel like he did enough time. So it's, right. So what is he, you know, he did his time. Like what's he supposed to say? Let me get a couple more years. I know. know? (laughs) Anyway, I can see, I'm glad that worked. Great for book clubs. I think it would be great for book clubs. Okay. Let's do shelf editions. Now, I have one that I'm like, did Renee already talk about this on the podcast? Unclear. So forgive me (laughs) (laughs) if you already have, because I don't know. So this one is called A Thousand Steps by T. Jefferson Parker. I have not talked about this one. Cool. I've heard of it, though. This one came as a recommendation to me from friend of the show, Adam Sokol at He Cooks and He Books. He was a guest on our podcast last year. And he was only a couple hours into the audio and he messaged me and said, Tina, I think you're going to like this. And he sent me a screenshot of the cover. I'm like, okay, first of all, beautiful cover. It's but he so said nice. It was yes. giving him Daisy Jones meets Razorblade Tears. And I was like, say less. Got you. Oh, I'm on it. Okay. Right. Okay. Let me tell you about it. You're in Laguna Beach in California. It's 1968. It's the age of Aquarius. There's a bunch of hippies around. LSD is God. People are doing drugs. People from all over are coming to Laguna Beach and they're looking for peace, love, and enlightenment. And you have Matt Anthony, who's just trying to get by. He is 16 and he is the protagonist, which I'm a little nervous about because I don't Mm -hmm. do well with adolescence, but we'll see how he does. He is broke and he's never quite sure where his next meal is coming from. Mom's a stoner and his dad is a no-show and he's a deadbeat and has basically left the family and his brother is off fighting in Vietnam. The only one he has is his big sister, Jazz, but she has just gone missing. And the cops figure, you know what? She's a runaway. This is the times. You know, she's a runaway hippie chick and enjoying her summer of love. But Matt says, no, that's not my sister. He does not believe it. And then another missing girl turns up dead on the beach. 
And so he's like, okay, I've got to get my license. I got to figure this out. All he wants to do is really kind of get by and be loved and do normal adolescent things, but it's up to him to find his sister. And it's a town where cops don't trust the hippies and the hippies don't trust the cops. You've got a lot of tension there. And he's finding that uncovering what really happened to his sister is going to force him to grow up really fast if it's not already too late. I thought this sounded really good. And honestly, the cover alone is enough for me to give this a shot. It's really trippy. Mm -hmm. And this one is A Thousand Steps by T. Jefferson Parker. Yes, I have heard about that. The publisher actually, yeah, sent me a copy, but also said, because you liked Orphan at the Orphan X series by Greg Hurwitz, I think you might like this. And I was like, okay. I mean, that, I was like, okay, I will, yeah, I'll give that a try, which I haven't tried it yet. But that, yeah. But then Adam said Daisy Jones, Razor by <laughs> Tears. So, okay, we're going to have to read this and find well, and out which is accurate. And I don't want to like hold him accurate. to this. I didn't tell him I was talking about it on the podcast. I don't want to hold him to that forever. And he was only a couple, like well, yeah. maybe 20% in. So like mm-hmm. it could be different. I'm saying it's more of a vibe, right? It's okay. more of a vibe. Right. So. Well, that's a Because I hate up. when people hold me to like, <laughs> well, you right. said it was like this book and I didn't think so. And it's like, well, you you know, okay. <laughs> yes. Vibes are fine. Yeah. It's okay. Vibes are fine. Vibes are fine. All right. Mine is not going to be for you at all, Tina. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. It comes out June 28th. And it is The Midnight Library meets The Immortalists. In, (laughs) I know that's all you need. That sounds like such a perfect mashup for you, though. That's all I needed to know, and that's all you need to know to know it's not for you. Yes, it's a it's it's a high concept blockbuster debut, and it asks the question: Would you choose to know how long you'll live? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would say no, also, but I I want to know more, and this is a story about the fact that people throughout the world, wake up every day, they have their coffee, they head out. But when you open your door, there's a box and this is for everybody. And waiting in that small box is something that holds your fate. The answer to the exact number of years you will live. Throughout the world, everyone is thrust into the same collective frenzy. Where did the box come from? Do What do they do now? I guess because you would probably open it, right? And so you, so then you know, and it would it's be very hard to not open it, I think, right? And it then there. you know. So what happens? What happens with that knowledge is what this story is about, and it sounds like characters and people get interwoven and connected in ways they have no idea. They give examples of best friends whose dreams are forever intertwined a doctor who cannot save himself, a politician whose box becomes the power keg that ultimately changes everything. If I had this book right now, I would literally start it. Yeah. I would, even though I'd, I'd say, I oh, like that's too far away. I would start it right now. It's The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. Oh my Comes gosh, out June sounds- 28th. So good. I'm really glad you brought that. I've never heard of it before. You've almost even got me because I'm like, wait, but like, I like the idea of different characters seeing how they would each react, like the doctor who can't heal himself, the politician who's going to like presumably use this knowledge to somehow mm-hmm. better his campaign or whatever it is. So know, that sounds really cool. I will. And they, they're they not left with a choice. I like, I mean, yeah. kind of the in The Immortalist, there was, mm-hmm. there was some choice involved, but 
I actually, I love both of those books. So really the first sentence had me. Mm-hmm. All right, report back. Okay, I will. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us on Patreon for $5 a month. Head to patreon.com slash book, talk, etc. for more information. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember everything's better with books. I think you read the that. Term of- <laughs> Why the hell did you know that? You read I- my mind. <laughs> <laughs>